again. As uh, you do so, you might uh, be able to find your library that we call the Bible. Uh, it might look like this. You might have to open it up or turn it on to uh, Ruth chapter 4, and it is that. It's a library. It's a bunch of different books. So the book of Ruth comes after the book of Judges and before the book of Samuel, First Samuel specifically, as we kind of understand it, and it, it fits in that time frame. It's a historical book. It kind of goes along with those themes and those genres of writing, many different writing styles, too, in this library we call the Bible. But uh, here's the really neat thing about the library we call the Bible. It might not be a book, but there's no other library like it on earth, that it's a bunch of different books, but one unified story by the power of the Holy Spirit and his inspiration that draws us to an encounter with Jesus this morning. And every time you open it, and every time you read it, isn't that awesome? Isn't, isn't that awesome? A story about the, the history of humanity right here in front of us, how God has been moving us to this moment today. That, that makes me pause and think and expect maybe God just might do something special with this moment. There's no other library like this one on earth. He really did inspire these words. He inspired the characters. They lived these stories. And he stitched all of it into that unified story that leads to Jesus Christ. And uh, I need you to know this morning, as, as your preacher is the one preaching to you anyways, that you might not be at this place in your faith, but I'm just as truthful about the truth as I can be, that I believe that the Bible's inspired, eternal, and true. And out of that conviction, I've taken the habit of holding it up when I come to speak from it on Sunday mornings, and, and I invite you to do that too. It's kind of a, it's an interesting thing. It's, it, it, it's, uh, it's just a way to acknowledge really to yourself and to the world that there's something special about this library, about these words and about this story. And we submit to the authority of his word, and we're eager for the power of Jesus to be let loose in our lives. That's what I mean when I, when I left my Bible. I know it's odd and it looks odd, but this is a moment that is odd, <laughs> that has power to shape us as a people. So before I say anything else, why don't I pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired these words would inspire us to receive them this morning in fullness and in truth. Let's pray. Almighty God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would open our minds to understand, our eyes to see, to read, our ears to hear and receive, our hearts to know, this message that you have for us this morning. Let it not just be a message, but help it to be a way of living that we can take from this place, that can transform our lives today, tomorrow, this week, perhaps the rest of our life, and into eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the last uh, week in this series we've been calling Belong. It's really been all about the book of Ruth, and so that's why we're in Ruth chapter 4, the really exciting conclusion to the story. And uh, over the last few weeks, I've heard several people tell me that Ruth is just one of their very favorite stories in the Bible. I've kind of wondered about that, and, um, and I think, at least in part, it's because it's just such an engaging story, and it's so exciting to read, and it reads like a story, like almost like a, a modern story. There's some, there's some sort of contextual things, especially in today's reading, that you have to sort out. But, but apart from that, it, it, it reads easily. In fact, you can read it before you get home today, as long as you're not the one driving. Um, you know, you can, it's a short story, and it's engaging, and you really cheer for the heroes. And the first hero we meet in Ruth's story is Naomi. Naomi is this uh, woman, she's married, and she goes to a foreign land because of a drought, and, and her husband and her sons die while she's over there. But she gains two daughters-in-law who marry those sons. 
And when the, when the uh, uh, famine is over, she decides to go back home, and we meet our second hero. Uh, her name is Ruth, the namesake of our story and our book. And Ruth courageously and, and determinately uh, tells Naomi, you know, I've come into this family, and from now on, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die. All of that comes back in such a beautiful way at the end of not only Ruth's story, but the beginning of Jesus' story, too, as we'll see in a few minutes here. But she's got this determination. She chooses to belong to Naomi's family, and she commits to love Naomi's family. So at, when we ask ourselves, what does it mean to belong in the church of God? Well, it means to commit to love the church of God, that to, to make a determination that the, despite uh, H-E double hockey sticks or high water, as they say, you know, can I say that? I, I think I could have said that, but I don't know. Anyways, just play it safe. H-E <laughs> double hockey sticks or high water, you know, I'm going through with these people and I'm going to commit to them uh, no matter what. Uh, so then we meet Ruth, who kind of takes the story the rest of the way, and Ruth is now a foreign widow without a husband or a son or a father in a foreign land, and so she does the only thing she can do, go out and try to nab some food off of someone else's land, and thankfully she comes to someone's field who's left some on the sides and the corners, and we come to learn that that is our third hero, Boaz. Boaz is righteous, and he, he's the stark opposite of what you'd expect to see in this time. Boaz stands as an exceptional person with exceptional quality and exceptional character, that he's obedient to God, he does the things of God, and he's compassionate and kind to Ruth. In fact, Ruth says that and says, why would you be kind to me, a, a foreign widow? And, and, and Boaz looks straight through that poor view of herself that Ruth offers and says, you're not just a foreign widow, you're that woman who came back with Naomi. You're the one who said, despite the devastation your life is going to be, you're going to follow her, and you're, you're determined to belong and commit, committed to love, and you're seeking help under the wings of God, and I'm going to not stand in the way of that. <laughs> I'm going to do everything I can to, to help the wings of God cover you thoroughly. And we see in that story that both Boaz and Ruth then have this exceptional quality and character. We learned that to belong doesn't mean to fit in, doesn't mean to be acceptable, doesn't mean to look like someone else, but actually to lean into the way that, that God has made you exceptionally unique. It's like a puzzle piece in a thousand-piece puzzle. There's only one puzzle piece in a thousand-piece puzzle that's exactly like itself. No other puzzle piece is, is exactly like it. And it's because it's unique in its shape, in its colors, in the story that it tells, the piece of the picture that it paints, that that is what causes the belonging. That's what causes it to fit, not because it looks like everything else. If it were a puzzle that would just be all blue, that would be boring and terribly difficult. So then we met in chapter 3, uh, Boaz and Ruth again, and we learned something about this, uh, this, uh, this contextual term, kinsman redeemer or family redeemer, depending on how you're your Bible translates that, and, and we learned that that was a, really a, a cultural term that, that predates your Bible, and it's all about being, being this person in this tribal culture that when someone might have been taken as a prisoner of war, or land might have been uh, abducted by someone in war, or just sold because of some extenuating circumstance, a kinsman redeemer would be the person that would, would go to that situation, slam down their checkbook, and say, what's it going to take? I will, I will do everything it takes to get that person back from your possession or get that land back from your possession that it can come back to the family that it belongs to. My life for theirs, even that far. And that's what a kinsman redeemer does. 
So Ruth courageously goes to Boaz and says, you're one of those people. You're one of those kinsmen and redeemers. And in a way asks, will you lay down your life? Will you give what you have so that, I can, I, so that Naomi and I can have a future and a hope and a life? And uh, Boaz says, well, wait a second. There's actually someone else who's rightfully in front of me for that role. So let me go talk to him. And that enters us into chapter four, the exciting conclusion. So that's exactly what's ha- happening here at the beginning of the chapter. Boaz goes to that person, unnamed in the scripture, and, and uh, he says, okay, let's go meet at the town square. That's really kind of literally what's going on here. It's, this is a town gate in, in scriptures, but really, you know how it used to be if there was land that was lost or something, it had to be auctioned on the, on the county courthouse steps, you know, and everyone could kind of come, and it was a public ordeal and thing that still, I think, legally might potentially happen these days, but it doesn't happen very often. I don't really know. But anyways, that's exactly what's being painted here, the picture that this, the author is painting here, that uh, Boaz wants to take this person into public. He calls some of the elders to come along and to witness this situation, and he says, look, Naomi, remember our first hero, has this land that she's going to sell. She needs to sell in order to survive. You're the first kinsman redeemer. Will you redeem the land? And the, that unnamed person says, well, yeah, of course, because at that point, it's an investment. If he buys the land, lets Naomi live on it until she dies, and then she doesn't have any heirs, the land reverts to become his. So in his mind, it's an investment. It costs a little bit up front, but in the end, it'll come back to me on the bottom line for my family as a part of their heir and and their inheritance. And then Boaz says, but wait, (laughs) it's not just the land. You know that if you buy the land, that also means that you must marry Ruth, have a child with her, a a son, so that her son, that child, can carry on the family name and possess the land. And wow, it just, just (laughs) the clouds came out, didn't they? (laughs) That has never happened, I don't think, since I've been here. Anyways, um, so uh, so the, the man, the first kinsman redeemer, said, well, no, I can't do that. Because you know what that does? That opens up the door for it not, no longer to be an investment, but it to be a sacrifice. That it's no longer something that will be self-serving to him, but something, something that will be selfless and offered to her and her family. And in fact, Ruth's children, whatever children come out of this marriage, would have a, a reasonable claim to the kinsman redeemer's stuff. What previously was off limits to them, now might be. So they might have a claim on his land that he already possesses. That's why he says, that might jeopardize my own holdings, my, my land, my possessions. He says, no, I can't do that, so you do it, Boaz. And so then we get to the final moment, the big climax. Every great story has got a climactic moment. And this one happens in Ruth chapter 4, verse 9. So Boaz said to the elders, and to the crowd standing around. You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband, and Kilion, Malon, her dead sons. Verse 10, And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. So big moment. I know this seems so strange to us, this idea that like Boaz is going to marry Ruth and then have children with her and all this. This is Hebrew law, that if you're a widow, 
because the only way you're connected to society is through a man, either your husband, your father, or your son. You don't have any of those things, with Ruth, which Ruth doesn't. The law says that the widow's dead husband's next oldest brother, okay, marries the widow and has children with her until she has a son that can carry on the name and the family inheritance and all this. The problem is Ruth's, that person for Ruth is also dead. <laughs> so it doesn't work out for her. And so this is really an act of great mercy and kindness and sacrifice from Boaz to Ruth to offer this to her, to open the door that, look, not only is what is yours yours, but now you're a part of my family too. That's what it means to belong. A couple of weeks ago, when we first started talking about redemption, I asked you to envision yourself as sort of the redeeming party. That's our work as the church, is to go and get who God has come to save. To go and get who God has come to save. That's what Boaz did. He said, I will take care of you, Ruth. I'm going to go and I'm going to take care of the situation. I know God is protecting, covering over you. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to go and get who God has come to save. That's our work as a church is to be a part of that redemption process unto others. But this morning, I'm going to flip that around and encourage you not to think of yourself as part of that redemption process on the, on the redeemer side, but part of the redemption process on the redeemed side. To not ever forget that the same thing that Boaz is doing for Ruth, Jesus has done for you. It's a foreshadow, beautiful foreshadow of what Jesus has done for you. That you would be invited beyond your own ability, you'd be invited into the family of God. And would you believe that when you're invited into the family of God, you become heirs of his? <laughs> Do you know that? That's what Paul said in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. So don't have a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That's that great blessed assurance we sing about. That gift, that grace of God, that we can know we are saved. Do, do you? Do, do you know that you are saved? Are you doubtful this morning? God offers great assurance beyond the measure of any doubt, that you are redeemed and you are saved. If you don't have that this morning, let's ask him for it. It's a gift of his. You don't have to be any certain way. You don't have to do any certain thing. It's purely God's grace, his power and his mercy poured into your life, blessing you with that confidence that his spirit joins with ours to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, verse 17, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. What is his is yours. There's a magnitude to this. I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm not 
capturing it, maybe because it's uncapturable. <laughs> but there's a magnitude to this. Do you sense that? That you, along with Jesus Christ, are heirs of God's glory. Everything he has, you are entitled to. You are his child. We are his children. There's nothing that he holds back. That's what it means to be redeemed. That's the great climax of this story in Ruth. But there's kind of one more moment that I think you could argue is also a climax or maybe the bigger climax of the story. But it reads kind of like a summary. And that's the story about Naomi. It turns back to her in verse 13. And remember where Naomi's story started. Started in devastation. A famine that drove her from her own land and into a foreign land where her entire family died, okay, and where she was forced by famine once again to go back home and to live a sad and sorry life with no hope and no future. This is how her story ends in Ruth. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife, and the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Oh, I love that. And then this. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. She cared for him as if he were her own. Isn't that such a beautiful ending to the story? From a life driven by famine and devastation to holding a sweet little grand boy in her arms. Man, I don't know the, I don't know the feeling of grandchildren yet, <laughs> but so many of you do, don't you? So many of you do. She took the baby and cuddled him. She cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again. Do you sense their amazement at this? Now at last, Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Yeah, that David. (laughs) The David where you turn the page, actually, you don't even have to turn the page in my library, and it's the story of David right there. Maybe it gives us a clue about why Ruth was so important to this story. enjoying this presence of the Holy Spirit, I think. And I pray that he works on each of us. That 
blessed gift of assurance. It's so sweet. That blessed gift of redemption, undeserved, unmerited grace and favor poured out upon you because he loves you. How sweet. I pray, Lord, that you will work first on me and my heart. Also on those gathered here. We've been faithful to show up this morning. Obedient despite some circumstances stacked against us, I'm sure. Some of us are out and can't be here, but are, are in, in spirit and presence, uh, present with us in other ways or at later dates. God, whoever can hear this prayer this morning or whenever it's heard, may you convict us deeply. Remind us that we, we will never know the need of a Savior until we know that we are a sinner. Convict us deeply if, if you've redeemed us, you've saved us, you've called us your children, then give us that great blessed assurance that we need, no, we need not doubt our estate, but we can celebrate and know That what is yours is now ours. And when we do that, help us to use it well. To pray that the mountains move and they move. To pray for healing and they're healed. To pray for provision and it's poured out. Help us to wield that great inheritance you've offered to us. That inheritance of love and mercy and power Help it to become alive in people's lives, in the life of our family, in the life of our co-workers, our neighbors, and our community. Don't let us hold on to it. Don't let us to be selfish people, like the unnamed redeemer that's, who's now lost to history. Help us to be, be like Boaz, faithful and obedient to your word. Eager to put our lives on the line, to slam our checkbook down, to say how much will it take to bring you back into the fold. And when you do all of that, we know it won't be us, it won't be our work, it won't be our goodness, our merit, or anything we've done, but it'll be because of you. Because you live. Because you died. Because you are love. Get us out of the way so that your grace and your power can be fully realized here in Cameron and Rockdale and Milan County and beyond. In the powerful, mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.